Welcome to Murder Bucket, a true crime podcast where I talk about everything from murders, paranormal activity, kidnappings, abductions, and also weird stuff. If you never want to miss a new episode, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. It would also be helpful if you rated and left me a review. This spreads the word about Murder Bucket. Let's see what we're going to pull out of the bucket this week. Good evening, Murder Bucket family, and welcome back to Tuesday. Tuesdays are when we have brand new episodes. I want to share again what I talked about last week. We are starting something new here on Murder Bucket where one week we will have a full-length episode, meaning about 30 to 45 minutes long, and then the following week we will have a mini episode being kind of the max of 20 minutes. And the reason for this is because there are lots of interesting stories cases, articles, videos that I want to share with you as far as like the true crime world or like weird and interesting things that just does not have a lot of content online. And I feel like it wouldn't make for a good 30 to 45 minute episode because I would just be talking about myself. And I know there are several of you out there that just don't like that. So I will do a full length episode and then the following week, it will be a mini episode and so on and so forth. As far as True Crime News Corner, don't worry, that's not going away. We will still do that on the first episode of each month, whether it be a full length episode or a mini episode. Tonight, we have something super creepy that I can't wait to share with you. But as always, we're going to do our week slash weekend recap. This past week, my daughter went to go hang out with another one of my friends and her little girl because the people who typically watch my daughter during the week went on vacation. So the person that my daughter went to go hang out with actually used to be a daycare teacher. So she had a bunch of crafts for them to do. They went out to the park. They played in the backyard. They played in the kiddie pool. They did circle time and shapes and reading books and so on and so forth. And my daughter just had a fantastic time. There was one day where I stayed home with her because the friend actually had to go out and do something one day so she couldn't watch her. That was okay. My daughter and I actually went to the first family's house, swam in their pool while they were gone. Of course, we got permission. We had a little game night at the church on Thursday because our Bible study leader for our Bible study and the other Bible study leader were both out of town. And so both of the groups just kind of met up and we just hung out for a couple hours and played some games. I got a lot of yard work done Friday evening because it was supposed to storm really bad on Saturday, which it did. There were like lots of people in the area that were without power for a long time. I think mostly in Virginia and like kind of up the coast almost. And then Sunday we did have a softball game and we lost by I think just two points, which wasn't too bad. Monday wasn't too interesting. About the only thing 
I can think of about Monday was we have some interns that are from our local high schools in the area that are kind of going around to the different um, departments that I work for and like our county has as far as like waste management, Department of Aging, Department of Public Works, um, inspections and permits, planning and zoning, those kind of things. So they're interning during the summer and for kind of the beginning of July all the way through, I think the middle of August, they are actually with us in my department Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and they get to hang out with me. I am kind of the overseer for them on those days. So we had one of them on Monday. We will have another one on Wednesday and another one on Friday. And it's actually been kind of fun. They are super interested in what what we do. And we get to hear like when they go to the other departments and like go out with inspectors and that kind of thing. So it's very fascinating. Kind of wish they had something like this when I was in high school because it's super interesting to me. But yeah, that's been my week, and now you're here with me, and we are talking about the cremation king of California. According to nationalcremation.com, cremation is defined as a method of body disposition that serves as an alternative to traditional burial in a coffin or casket. Placed in a cremation container, the remains are incinerated in an industrial furnace and reduced to basic chemical compounds known as cremains. On cremationassociation.org, during the late Stone Age, cremation began to spread across northern Europe as evidenced by findings of decorative pottery urns in western Russia. Cremation then moved into the British Isles as well as Spain and Portugal during the Bronze Age. Cemeteries for cremation developed in Hungary and northern Italy. During the Mycenaean age, cremation was part of the elaborate Grecian burial custom. During the time of the Roman Empire, cremation was widely practiced and cremated remains were stored in elaborate urns. As a result of Constantine's Christianization of the empire, burial replaced cremation except for rare cases of a plague or war. Professor Bruniti of Italy perfected his model of a dependable chamber and displayed it at the 1873 Vienna Exposition. This is when the cremation movement began to boom. Sir Henry Thompson and his colleagues founded the Cremation Society of England in 1874, and the first crematoriums in Europe were built in 1878. Dr. Julius Lamone built the first crematorium in Washington, Pennsylvania in 1876. The second crematorium opened in Lancaster, Pennsylvania and was owned and operated by a cremation society. By 1900, there were 20 crematoriums in operation. Dr. Hugo Erickson founded the Cremation Association of America in 1913. By that time, there were 52 crematories in operation and well over 10,000 cremations were happening that year. During World War II, Nazi Germany used specially built furnaces in at least six concentration camps where bodies of those murdered by gassing were disposed of using incineration. 
Holocaust furnaces were supplied by a number of manufacturers, with the best known being Topf and Sons as well as Cory Company of Berlin. By the 20th century, cremation gained acceptance in most Christian denominations. William Temple, the senior bishop of the Church of England, was cremated after his death in 1944. In 1963, Pope Paul VI lifted the ban on cremation and in 1966 allowed Catholic priests to officiate a cremation ceremony. In 1975, Cremation Association of America changed its name to the Cremation Association of North America, and there were 425 crematoriums in operation. By 1999, there were 1,468 crematoriums, and 25% of all deaths ended with being cremated instead of being buried. By 2019, there were 3,000 crematoriums in operation, and 54% of all deaths ended with being cremated. In the United States, federal law does not dictate any container requirements for cremation. Several states require opaque or non-transparent containers for all cremations. I know that as of 2017, Shelby County in Tennessee requires a person to be cremated in a casket. According to a study by Elizabeth Kaiser from the Netherlands Organization for Applied Research found that cremation has less of an environmental impact than traditional burials. After a loved one is cremated, the remains are kept in an urn and can either be stored in a special memorial building, buried in the ground at many locations, or scattered in a special place. There are many services where your ashes can be scattered in a special way, such as being put in a helium balloon, put in fireworks, shot from a shotgun shell, or scattered from an airplane. Your remains can also be turned into synthetic diamonds so that you can always keep your loved ones close to you. My mom's ashes are scattered in the Roaring Fork River in the Smoky Mountains. My dad always jokes with me and my siblings that when he dies, he wants his ashes put in little tiny jars and hidden behind books in bookstores and libraries with a note inside that says, If you find me, please move me. So why am I telling you the whole backstory of cremations? Well, tonight, we are talking about the cremation king of California. But was he really a king or just a weirdo? Charles Lamb opened the Pasadena Crematorium around 1926 and then opened the Lamb Funeral Home in 1929. According to an article from LATimes.com, Charles Lamb served as president of the State Funeral Directors Association and passed on the business to his son Lawrence, who became president of the Pasadena School Board. Lawrence's daughter, Laurieanne, demonstrated a gift of consoling families at the mortuary. Soon, Laurieanne began taking control of the business just as the public's interest in cremation blossomed. She loved funeral work. She was tasked with beautifying the dead, which meant she would apply makeup to the skin of the embalmed. According to an article on Topic.com, 
She felt that it was crucial to look your very best when you met your maker. Jerry, Lorianne, and their son David were considered an all-American family. Jerry was a Bible college football coach, Lorianne was an organ player at her church, and David was a charming ex-football player. After their son David dropped out of college, he went to work as a casino dealer and then a hockey stadium usher. His family eventually convinced him to get his embalmer's license and join the family business at 26. David unfortunately thought that the embalming school was boring and instead decided to take a crack at the cremation side of the family business. He was able to obtain a license from the Department of Health to operate the crematorium. He started coastal cremations and began advertising to funeral homes in the Los Angeles area that did not have access to a crematorium. He would arrange to pick up a body, transfer it to the Lambs Family Crematorium in Altadena, wait the two hours that it took to cremate a single body, and then bring the ashes back to the funeral home. He would only charge them the lowest price possible, just $55. That was half of what his competitors offered. David was able to keep the cost low and still make money by keeping the fires going all day and all night. Even though he started the cremations in 1982, the company didn't start officially on paper until 1984. Employees would drive up and down the coastline, picking up bodies that were packed in cardboard and placing them in the back of the company van. It is estimated that between 1985 and 1986, coastal cremations had a gross income that was well over $1 million. He was dubbed the Cremation King of California and got vanity plates for his green Corvette that read, I burn for you. The Sconces family expanded the enterprise with the creation of Coastal International Eye and Tissue Bank in July of 1986. This was to facilitate the side gig David started where he would traffic organs he removed from the bodies he was cremating. His mother, Lorianne, forged signatures from the family members if consent was not given. On the black market, they sold hearts, eyes, and brains. Over a three-month period, Coastal International Eye and Tissue Bank, quote-unquote, sold 136 brains for $80 each, 145 hearts for $95 each, and 100 lungs for $60 each. These were supposedly used in medical schools, but there is no solid evidence of that. As far as how much he made selling these on the black market? Well, there are no paper trails, of course, so I guess we'll never know. David then began extracting the gold teeth from the corpses and selling them to a local jeweler for $6,000 each month. He stored eyeballs in used Coke cans and would carry cardboard-enclosed corpses around the facility for exercise. One of the other gruesome things he did was using a crowbar to crack open the sternums on corpses. David began to push the limits of the ovens at the crematorium. 
He wanted to cremate as many people as possible. So he began to put multiple bodies in the ovens at once. When it came time to collect the ashes for the families, David instructed his employees to collect three and a half to five pounds for females and five to seven pounds for males. On November 23, 1986, the crematorium burned to the ground after several employees managed to shove 19 bodies into each of the ovens at once because they wanted to break the crematorium record. You would think this would end their sinister plan of mass cremations, right? Wrong. David had a better idea. He shifted operations to a metal warehouse. The warehouse was home to Oscar Ceramics Factory. David began cremating bodies in the facility's massive brick kilns. That was until Assistant Hesperia Fire Chief Will Whitworth received a call on January 19, 1987, from a concerned neighbor stating that there was black smoke pouring from a building in the desert that had the sickening smell of burning human flesh. At first, Chief Wentworth didn't believe the caller until the caller said that they were at the ovens of Auschwitz so they knew what the smell of burning flesh was. Chief Wentworth then drove out to the Oscar Ceramics and when he opened one of the massive brick furnaces, he discovered something extremely gruesome. A burning foot. When he looked around, he saw the interior of the building caked with black that had bodily grime from the ovens, as well as trash cans brimming with human ashes and prosthetic devices. The executive officer of California's Cemetery Board stated in an article on LATimes.com, This is probably the worst scandal I have ever seen or that I could have ever imagined. In an article on WhittierDailyNews.com, the author writes, Oscar's Ceramics on Darwin Road in Hesperia, a plant that purportedly was making ceramic panels for space stations, was instead a secret crematorium. Investigators found two large kilns, each more than half filled with the burning bodies of human beings. Human bones and ashes partially filled eight 55-gallon garbage cans. The thick, dark liquid of human body fats and oils covered the floor, running out the back door to a makeshift pit. Crime reporter for the Pasadena Star News, Kathy Braidhill, followed the story of David's crime in a book that she wrote in 1993. In this book, it says, Anyone who would look at David at that time saw a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, kind of athletic physique, a very handsome, outgoing, kind of schmarmy and charming guy. He was a little too slick in my opinion, but some people are attracted to that. I'm certain that he used his good looks to sort of offset any suspicion about what he was up to. It is said that many of David's employees called him Little Hitler because of the number of bodies that he cremated at once. Other morticians said that he was sort of a bully. Timothy Waters owned Alpha Society and was considered to be David's main competitor. He knew what David was doing and threatened to out him in the industry newsletter. 
Instead of this, David sent one of his employees to beat Timothy to a pulp. Then two months later, Timothy mysteriously died at his mother's home. A local coroner stated that his cause of death was buildup of fatty tissue in his kidneys. The autopsy also showed a heart medication in his bloodstream, even though he did not take any medication. It is suspected that instead of it being a heart medication, that it was in fact one of the most poisonous trees in Southern California, which can mimic this medication in the bloodstream. So, did Timothy die from a fatty kidney, or was he poisoned? My guess is that these employees who went there to rough him up came back to finish the job. Some articles that I read said that David potentially put a leaf from this poisonous tree in one of his drinks while they were out at a meeting. The main question is, how did David get away with this for so long? According to an article on Cracked.com, at the time, California only had two state inspectors overseeing the funeral and cremation industry, and we all know how large California is. When the inspectors did show up, they didn't suspect anything because of all the paperwork that was provided to them looked legit. And we know from what I said earlier, his mother forged most of those documents if the families didn't give consent. In May of 1988, David, Jerry, and Lori Ann were charged with 67 felonies and misdemeanor counts, including illegally harvesting eyes, hearts, lungs, and brains for sale to a scientific supply company, conducting mass cremations, falsifying death certificates, and embezzling funeral trust account funds. David was also charged separately with assaulting three morticians who voiced suspicions about the family's cremation operation. While David, Jerry, and Lorianne awaited arraignment, investigators made another morbid discovery. In the crawl space beneath David's former rental home in Glendora, investigators found a pile of charred bones, teeth, and prosthetic devices. Ed Shane, who rented the home after David, discovered the remains while he was replacing something in the crawl space. He immediately called the authorities. The authorities spent the majority of two days filling boxes with bones, dentures, bridges, bits of skulls, pacemaker wires, and cans packed with molars. Fellow mortician Jay Brown is quoted in an article on Topic.com saying, It was horrific. For the following year, we had about 1,500 to 2,000 people calling us to find out if Mountain View or the Lamb family had cremated their loved ones. David was sentenced to five years in prison after he pleaded guilty to 21 charges on September 1st of 1989. While he was still in prison, a new charge was brought against him for Timothy Waters' death, but those charges were dismissed. David was released from prison in 1991. Jerry and Lorianne stood trial for their part of the scheme in April of 1992, five years after they were arrested. During the trial, 
Lorianne's defense attorney stated this, These acts were done by their son David. It was done without their permission or their knowledge. It's resulted in a great tragedy for them, for a third-generation business, and for the families of the deceased. We know that is total crap because Lorianne forged all of those documents. Jerry and Lorianne threw David under the bus during questioning and blamed him for the entire thing. They each received a sentence of three years and eight months in prison. In my opinion, that wasn't long enough. So we said that David got out of prison in 1991, but he did not keep his hands clean. In 1994, he was found guilty of selling fake bus tickets in Arizona. Then, in 1997, he pleaded guilty to soliciting a hitman to murder a potential buyer of a rival funeral home and was given lifetime probation. This didn't stop him. In 2006, David violated that probation by moving to Montana without permission. He violated probation again in 2012 by stealing his neighbor's rifle. He was then extradited back to California and sentenced to 25 years to life in prison. He is eligible for parole this year. So, after hearing this gruesome story, does this make you rethink getting cremated when you pass away? Do you wonder if the same thing might be happening somewhere else? And did you have loved ones that were cremated by the Lamb Family Funeral Home? Let me know your answers on social media. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or you can send me an email. I hope you enjoyed tonight's episode of The Cremation King of California. And in my opinion, he was just a weirdo and not a king. Before you head out tonight, check out this promo from my friends at the podcast Film Rage. It's time to feel the rage. Join us on Film Rage, where we talk movies, current releases, coming attractions, streaming, and classic films as well. Directors and actors, beware as you cannot hide from the rage. My name is Bryce, and I'm part of the Film Rage crew, which also includes Jim. Hey, hey. And Murray. Yo. Why is it you always talk? All the time. I can't understand why. This is the Merman, the voice of reason. These two can't agree on anything most of the time. Some movies are Mondo. Some are just... Every week, something is going to make us rage. Join us every Wednesday and feel the rage. Thanks for sticking around to the end. Be sure to follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.